When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to The Academic Life, a podcast series here on New Books Network. I'm Dr. Christina Gessler, the host of the channel. Today, we'll be talking to Dr. Frank Martella about his new book, A Wonderful Life, Insights on Finding a Meaningful Existence. Welcome to the show, Frank. Thank you. Thanks for the invitation. I'm so glad that you could be here, and I'm excited to talk about your book. I feel like it could not be more timely and more necessary um, of a topic to be talking about. Uh, We're taping during the pandemic, and People have a lot of questions and worries about what is happening with their lives. So to start with, I wonder if you could tell us a bit about yourself. Uh, yeah. So I guess like one, one thing to know about me is that I'm, I'm from Finland. So I've been living like basically most of my life within Finland with like a few years in Sweden. And then I was in University of Rochester in, in upstate New York for one and a half years. But other than that, I've been mostly staying in Finland, living in Helsinki, the capital of Finland. So I guess that's something of a background to know because I guess like Finland is like, I don't know, quite many people nowadays seem to be recognizing Finland from these World Happiness Reports where it has been like now three three years in a row, Finland has been kind of like the happiest place on earth or happiest country in the world. So that's like quite quite many people when I now tell that I'm from Finland, that's the first thing that they ask. So are you as happy as, as, as you are supposed to be? So, and I, I, my background is in quite much in philosophy. So I did my master's degree and I did my PhD in philosophy. So that's kind of like my, what I'd be like studying mostly. But in addition to philosophy, I've always felt that, you know, to, to understand questions like meaning in life, it's not enough to approach them from like one field. So I'd be doing actually quite much work also within the within empirical psychology. So I'd be like trying to figure out what there's like, how, how, what can we like learn from meaning through these like psychological experiments and besides that also like lately i've been also getting more and more interested also in the history of the topic so i've been trying to like read more more and more about history so in that sense i'm kind of like 
it's it's hard for me to stay within one of a discipline, which is like what one is supposed to do in academia. Usually, try to like stay within one discipline. But I've been like myself doing work within like psycho- psychology, within philosophy, and some work also within organizational research. So, and my, mainly my topic has been around like in the philosophy it has been around like pragmatic philosophy, and in and then it, within psychology mostly about people's basic needs, well-being, and meaningfulness. And besides work, then other than that, I kind of like I'm a father to three three kids and living in Helsinki. The kids are right now they're eight, six, and four. So that means that I usually don't have any like problems with, to figure out what I would do when I'm not working because the kids take take up quite much of the time when I'm when I'm not working. So I guess that's kind of like brief background. And you work as a professor. You're in academia. Yeah, in Alto University here in Helsinki. That that's where I'm like currently located you mentioned in your book and we'll we'll get to the book soon um but you mentioned in the book that you in one of your courses you give an assignment where you ask your students to do three random acts of kindness and how that's often one of the best parts of the whole course for them can you talk about how you came up with that assignment and and tell us about it yeah, so actually, it's come. It's come from like some some scientific research. There have been like some research where people have been like you know assigned to do the same act, same like thing, three acts of kindness in the next few few days or something like that. And then when the researchers have been like evaluating how that influences people's sense of you know well being and people's sense of meaning, finding out that these like doing these like small acts of kindness towards other people can actually enhance our own sense of well being and our, our sense of meaningfulness. So that's kind of like where it where it came from the inspiration for the exercise. So it, it it was not invented by me, but I was I was reading reading the scientific studies on the topic. But then I felt that hey, that that's something I really need to try out in my class. So then for several years, that's like one of one of the assignments that I give to the students. That before the next lecture, each of you should go out and like through, try to do few small things of kindness. Like and the stories have been like quite fun. That some some people you know. When the mailman comes with the bo- with the post, they open the door and offer them like la- glass of orange juice, or then a stranger asks them for direction to some like some some something, and instead of like you know just pointing the direction, one one student like w- walk with the stranger to the to the place, and on, on the way there gave this like this, this impromptu tour of the neighborhood, telling about different buildings and so forth. And some people have been like calling their grand grandparents like feeling that hey I, I've been neglecting them for too long and calling them or visiting them or or help helping their like you know hel- helping their spouses or their friends or whatever so when people have been like then sharing these 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 experiment ex- experiences the next ne- in the next lecture it has usually been quite like a touching moment that people have been like sometimes even like there has been like some tears in the eyes of it when some people have been like talking about like some really moving ways that they have been able to help other people. So I, I feel that, you know, quite many people come out of this exercise feeling that, hey, these small acts of kindness, they pay off not only to the person who's like, you know, that they help, but also to themselves, that they actually get quite much for themselves from doing these small things to other people. Just listening to you tell about that, I'm sitting here smiling. So <laughs> I'm wondering how the students rate that assignment for their own well-being. Students can experience such stress during the time of a semester does it help alleviate uh, some of that for them 
Yeah, it, it, we, I haven't like you know measured measured anything. I I just like given them the exercise like just just to something to experiment with. That, but my my feeling is that yeah, that it might be like good good way of like you know getting the focus out of from yourself because I guess like one source of stress is that when we think about too much ourselves and our too much our own things, and when when you have to like you know take the focus out of you and take the focus towards other people. How can I help other people or how can like you know make them happier? That actually can like paradoxically make yourself also like happier because then you're like kind of like less invested in your own things and more open towards other people and i think that at the bottom line we we human beings we are quite this social species we are social animals so it, it means that you know we are our happiness is usually not like just about us but it's quite much about the people around us so if you're able to make the people around you happy that usually in in the long run makes makes yourself also happier and the title of the book is A Wonderful Life, Insights on Finding a Meaningful Existence. And you mentioned a few minutes ago that Finland has made national press for several years in a row as being one of the happiest places to live. And it's also made national press for having some of the best ways of educating children. What gave you the inspiration to start this book? Um. I think I don't have like any one moment when I decided that I want to write this book, but I think it has been like quite a long process that I think already like when I was like, when I was an undergrad and when I was thinking what I should do next and when I was contemplating about like doing a PhD, already at that point, I think that meaningfulness was one of the key topics I was feeling that, hey, I would like, like, like to do a PhD on like meaning of life. But then it turned out that it was like, actually, there was like nobody in the university who was like willing to supervise a PhD on, or a thesis on that topic. So then I had to like study with other topics and only like after, after the PhD, I, I revolved back, back towards this topic of meaning. And now I've been already like studying it, like, I don't know, 10, almost 10 years or something like that. So, in, and all the time I felt that at some point I want to write a book about the topic. So like it has been in the, in the back of my head, the idea that at some point I want to write about the meaning, like make, make a book out of it. And then just a few years ago, I felt that, hey, now it starts to be the right time. That now I have like, I have like, a, I'm kind of like confident enough that I have like some something valuable to say about the topic. So I felt that now would be a good time to try to wrap it up all in, into one book. And both, both like the philosophy and the history and the psychology of the topic of meaning. And so in that sense that there wasn't like one moment when I decided that this book needs to be written, but it was like a very long process that has like, because the question has been with me for a, for, for a very long time. I, and I just felt that, hey, now, now would be the right moment to write it up. I think there's an encouragement there for listeners who are wondering what they're going to write their thesis or their dissertation on. And they might have been dissuaded uh, from their advisors or maybe well-meaning mentors that they shouldn't write on a particular topic. You've given great hope that if a topic matters to you, you can keep ruminating on it and you can write it later. Um, yeah, yeah that, book- that's what happened to me. That, yeah, my PhD, I guess, like it, my, my dissertation, probably I mentioned like meaning somewhere on, on its like 200 pages. There might have been like some mention about the topic, but it was not the main topic at all of the, of the, of, of the dissertation. But still, like, it was like all, all the time on, on the back of my head. So, like, after the, after then, when I was continuing as a researcher, then I started to do more, more like get from the topic I did my PhD on to more and more towards meaning. And then 
for the last years that that has been like clearly the main topic that I have been like doing my research on. So yeah, so sometimes it takes a longer time to get to the, get to your favorite topic, but I think like even even the topics that I did my dissertation on, I think like I was like very interested in them them as well. So it it wasn't like all bad or anything, but but just that something that you know that I all, all the time felt that at some sooner or later I want want to get back to this topic of meaning. And I think in some ways the book is richer for it because while it it is a um, a shorter book um, for listeners who are worried that a philosophy book is going to be very dense and very long. It's it's actually got a really beautiful layout. It's it's got color uh, graphics in it, which often um, you know uh, intellectual books don't they don't give us those niceties. Um, and but it's very clear in reading it that a lot of really complicated, intense thinking has been distilled down into an immensely readable presentation. It's something that I really valued about the book that I can tell that you have spent a great deal of time thinking these things through and figuring out how to present it to us. Um, In a way, I'm not sure really is possible at the thesis level because we're still figuring out what we think about the things we want to think about. Yeah, yeah, I think like, yeah, you're quite right that I think to write a short book about this kind of topic, one needs like much more like, you know, expertise than to write a long book about the topic. That it's easy to write a long, long, longer book where one has like time to like explain everything, but to really like, you know, condense it to the most essential elements. I think that's that's kind of the trick. And that's also like something that I, even even writing this book, I, I feel that, or I, I think that I, I probably ended up writing like, you know, five times more material than what ended up in the in the final version of the book. So I was writing something, and then I was discussing with the publisher about it, and discussing whether it works or whether it doesn't work. And then we like took took out a couple of chapters, feeling that okay, this is a kind of like sidetrack. Let's not go in there. And then we like fine tuning other chapters and so forth. So it was like quite a long process. And so in order to write a short book, one first needs to like write like five times longer book, and then like cut out everything that doesn't belong there. So yeah, the process was like quite intense to get 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 it into into such a short 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 format. So it probably it would have, would have been much easier to write the book that had, would have been like double double the length or three times the length compared to like trying to write keep it like so short and try, try to keep it like still kind of like engaging for the reader, even like people who don't 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 know anything about philosophy beforehand, but still like you know can that even the philosopher looking at the book see could see that yeah that this topic is still like not like you know watered down but still like what, what it's like discussed in a relevant way so trying to find that balance balance was like quite a, quite hard but i feel that in the end with quite much support from the publisher and like from p- people reading reading like previous versions of the manuscript i was i, I was quite happy with the like final version and you you provide a resource list at the end of the book. So for readers who get the book and who want to know more about what the underpinning of all of these ideas and philosophies are, you give them a really lovely reading list so they can go and explore even more. Um, so one of the things that you tackle right out of the gate with this book is the question of meaning of life. And you tell us that mod- the modern world looks at it backwards in a way. Can you tell us the difference between asking about if our life has meaning and understanding that our life already has meaning? 
Yeah, so like one of the distinctions that I make, make in the book is this distinction between like kind of two different questions of meaning. So one th thing that we can be asked about life is this like meaning of life. And then the other is this question about meaning in life. So the meaning of life is this more kind of like, like overall general question about whether life as such has some like some meaning or purpose to it. Whether there's like some like overarching purpose to human life or life in general. So that's kind of like quite a deep philosophical and even like metaphysical question. And philosophers have been talking quite much about that like throughout the ages. Not, not perhaps using the word meaning of life because that, the phrase meaning of life just like invented like few centuries ago. But still like, you know, that this idea that whether life, life as such has some like, you know, given purpose, like that something like coming from outside the life itself that gives it purpose. That has been like one, of, one way of asking about the meaning. But then there's the other way of asking, asking about the meaning, which is more this question about meaning in life, which is not, not so much about, you know, whether life has like meaning from some like external perspective, but whether it has like meaning from the point of view of the person living that life. So it's more a subjective experience, something that we like experience within our lives. And I, in the end, I feel that, you know, even though like we have spent like quite much time discussing this question of meaning of life, in the end, I think that the question about meaning in life is actually the more like fundamental and more relevant question, because that's a, that's a question that each of us is kind of like answering through our everyday choices, because like, Whenever we make choices in our life, big or small, we make them based on some like idea about what, what would be the more valuable thing to do. And when we make these choices, we have like already some implicit theory of what makes life meaningful. And what I'm kind of like trying to do in this book is trying to make people more aware of this question of meaning in life and try to help them like find out what would be the best ways or what would be the best pathways from which most of us typically get this, me this sense of meaningfulness to their lives. And one of the things you, you do fairly early on is you debunk the idea that happiness is what's going to give our life meaning or where we will find the meaning in our lives, that happiness is a feeling. And feelings are, by design, fleeting. And so happiness would then be something you would continue to chase. Can you talk about why the modern... Uh, sales pitch for happiness, which is in advertisements and social media and everywhere we look, we seem to be urged to be happy. And if we're not happy, something's wrong and we need to get back to a state of happiness. Can you talk about why that is not the the way we're going to look at our lives and see the meaning that's there? Yeah. So one thing about no, to note about this, like this idea that like we should pursue happiness in our lives is that it's quite like a recent idea, historically speaking. Like few when we go back in history, people were not not so much like interested or like at least not like obsessed with happiness in the same way that we modern people usually are. So like happiness was not like not like considered as a life goal at all in many cultures. And even like nowadays, one can like find like in some some like non-Western cultures ideas where the happiness is not like put in the same way on the pedestal that we tend to do it. So I was like, for example, talking with one professor of psychology from China and he was telling me that you know if he thinks about his parents generation and in, in that in that generation like you no know, the kind of like the duty towards the society duty towards the family kind of like what that was kind of the primary value and because of that people were even like you know proud about how unhappy they were because like if you were unhappy that was kind of like somehow 
a sign that you know you have been like making big sacrifices for your community, for your family. So like you know, it was like a bad batch of honor that you are unhappy because it shows that you know that you have like really really done done something for the society and made sacrifices for the for the community. So that's like one thing to notice about happiness that you know that it's it's not like this like self evident goal in life, but it's kind of like just like something that we in our culture have tended to like put make into a goal. And I guess the reason that we have started to put it on, make it into such a goal, might have to do with somehow the you know that the tradition that usually provided us with like these like clear clear ideas about what one should should be pursuing in life. You know that if if you were born in a certain kind of family, you should follow this kind of path, and in some other other families, in some other path. Because this tradition doesn't like give us so much direction anymore, but we are like said that we are like more up. It's more up to us to decide what we want to do in life. People might be like a bit lo- lost in their life. They might that when they when they are given this liberty or this freedom to like choose to become whatever they want, many people actually don't know what they want to become and what would be the like the values that they want to follow. And because of that, then the happiness seems like this easy answer that you know if I don't know what I want to do in life. At least I can try to do things that would make me more happy. So because of that, it might have been like become this like you know quite a big cultural obsession. But the trouble with like having happiness as a goal, there's like few different troubles about that. One is that you know that there's even research showing that those people who are like most mostly trying to optimize their happy their happiness actually tend to be less happy than other people. And the reason for that is that you know that if you're all the time trying to like optimize your happiness levels, you're not going to be like any, any more satisfied with anything. Whatever, happen, whatever happens in your life, you always think that, okay, this thing made, me, thing made me quite happy. Why didn't it make me even happier? And this kind of like this trying to all the time compare one's happiness level, be, trying to figure out how can one could like be, become even more happier makes it like, makes it harder and harder to enjoy life as it is because one is all the time thinking like what would be the way to make it improve even the happiness levels from now and the other thing about happiness that as a goal is that you know it can easily lead to like more selfish behavior that you know if i all the time i'm thinking about my own happiness i might make choices that are bad for my relationships because like i might think that okay my friend needs my help but actually Watching this, this playing this computer game might be, or, or playing this game right now makes me make me more happier. So I ignore my friend, and because of that, then my friendships be, be, like become worse. And actually, what we know from like research is that one of the key sources of happiness for human beings are other people. So like focusing too much on oneself is often detrimental for one's one from for one's like long term well being and happiness because then one tends tends like ruin one's relationships through through much too much like focus on oneself and the third thing which makes like this focus on happiness like a bad thing is that in the end nobody is gonna go through life by being like all the time happy that each of us is gonna have like some tragedies in life happening you know people dying or what losing one's job and becoming sick or whatever 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 is that but and it, Especially, like I guess, like right right now during this like global pandemic, this is like team that many many people might have like experienced that you no, know, the life didn't go as planned, but like quite many things that one of us supposed to be doing this year didn't happen, and quite many like unhappy surprises were were waiting for oneself. So, if one is like 
convinced that one should all the time be happy, that's like an that's an impossible kind of like ideal to have because each of us are gonna be gonna be having these moments when we are not happy. And during these moments, of course it's bad to be unhappy, but it's even worse that if you think that, hey, now I've like somehow failed to follow this cultural norm. I failed to fail to do what I'm supposed to be doing, which is like to, to stay happy all the time. So it's like much better attitude towards life is kind of like it, accept all the feelings as they come. That sometimes I feel happiness, then I accept that. Sometimes I don't feel happiness. Sometimes I feel sadness. I accept that. Sometimes I'm angry. I accept that. So like accepting one's feelings and like accepting that life is full of like all sorts of feelings instead of like trying to like keep oneself happy is in the end like much healthier attitude and even an attitude that that might like in the long term help oneself like have higher levels of well-being. You mentioned a moment ago about part of the problem of the pursuit of happiness is that we're meant to look at this endless sea of choices and decide for ourselves which ones we want and it's exhausting and happiness is peddled quite effectively by our culture and so what would people choose instead? And so you, based on all your research and your 10 years of thinking about this, you have given us four key factors to focus on instead of um, the existential crisis of trying to figure out what is the meaning of life, which has taken philosophers the millennium and they haven't agreed yet, to find the meaning in life through four key things. And one of the first of them you suggest is Research says it's important to build your personal value system. So instead of saying, will this make me happy? It's about, does this add value to the life and the things that are important to me? Is that right? Yeah. So like, I guess like that's, that's my approach has been that that instead of like trying to get, get some like, you know, final and ultimate answer to the question of meaning, I'm trying to like look look at the scientific literature, like meaning in life and try to figure out what are the things that like most people and most most of the time find their like you find through which like people usually find their life meaningful and one of the key things to note, notice is that you know that the, that most people actually most of the time feel that their life is already meaningful so like having like highly meaningful life is not like the as an exceptional thing only like reserved for the like select few but actually like what research shows is that like most people actually usually feel that their life is already like quite meaningful and the things that they come they get this meaningfulness from are usually quite mundane everyday things so that meaningfulness doesn't have to be have to like involve anything extraordinary but actually quite ordinary things in life can already like be enough for most of us to experience our lives as meaningful yeah and one of these things like as i said like there's four things that i focus on in the in the book that i feel that you know that that should be like something that through which like we, people can experience the sense of meaningfulness. And one of them is this like about this sense of kind of like self-selection or autonomy or this, this feeling that, you know, that the getting to know yourself, know, knowing, knowing who you are and what are your own interests and what are your own values. And then trying to make like life choices that are like in accordance with that instead of like being like pushed along with life or like just like being answering to whatever external pressures there are. So like too many people like spend their life like pleasing other people. They might be pleasing their parents, they might be pleasing their friends or whoever, but like instead of like making life choices that are based on their own interest, based on their own values, based on things that they themselves find like, you know, something worth doing and valuable, 
instead of that, they like tend to do things that they, they think that will make their parents proud or will make their friends friends like envy them. And these kind of like, you know, external motives usually are not, not the recipe for like a happier and meaningful life. So instead of that, we should like try to get, get rid, of, rid of like too much external focus and instead of like trying to learn to know who we ourselves are and then trying to figure out how can we live lives where we are like kind of like to able to be the person that we mostly want to be. You mentioned a study uh, that a, a professor gave an assignment to students and they were to write on one of three different topics. One was they were supposed to write about the library or something. And, uh, yeah, and, yeah. But one, of, one of the possibilities was to write about themselves. And of the three assignments, the one that was the most well-written, the ones that was the, that were the most engaging were the ones where the students were really invited to get to know themselves and write about themselves. Can you talk about that study? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, 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 that's one of my favorite studies about meaning, meaning in life. And it was conducted by this professor, Rebecca Schlegel, from this Texas AM University. So she invited like, the students to write about three different topics. Like she randomly, like, each student was like, randomly given one of these three topics. So one topic was like just to write about, you know, your true self. What, what's the person you are like, you know, at the bottom of the line? Write about that kind of topic, like who, who you are. What is your authentic true self like? Other people, people were asked to write about their everyday self, how they are usually with other people. And the third group of students were asked to write about the bookstore. What, the bookstore next, next door, how is that bookstore like? And then the, then they were, the researchers were also like asking, how much meaningfulness do they experience in life? And the research showed that, you know, that when they look at what they were looking at people's writing was like how much detail, how long the people were writing about these topics. And then they were comparing that to how much meaningfulness they experienced. And it turned out that those people who were writing about their everyday self, it didn't matter whether they wrote like long, long, long about that or short about that. They experienced like both groups, like both those who wrote long about the topic and those who wrote about short about the topic experienced the same amount of meaning. And same goes for the campus bookstore. So it didn't matter like whether you wrote a long essay about the campus bookstore or whether you wrote just a few paragraphs both groups experience on average the same amount of meaning in life. But then there was the group who was like asked to write about their like, you know, true authentic self. And it turned out that for that group, the longer essay you were able to write about that kind of topic, the more meaning in life you experienced on average. So like, and which means that, you know, that if you're able to write a long essay about that kind of topic, you must be like somehow in touch with your authentic self you must know who you are to be able to write about that topic for for like long longer period of time so like if you're in touch with like who you are then on average you're more prone to experience meaningfulness and that's yeah so that's one one of the one of the like studies that i really really have been like enjoying reading and i was actually like just before the pandemic i was like visiting one conference one conference in New Orleans and Rebecca Schlegel was there. So I was like able to thank her and tell, the, tell her that, you know, that this is one of like the studies that like usually, like almost every time I, I would give a lecture on the topic of meaning in life, this is one of the studies that I almost, almost every time tell, tell about. So I, I was like happy to be able to say it to her face to face, like how, how grateful I, I have been about like that she'd have done that study. It, it makes me hope more professors will assign that. They'll figure out a way to, 
incorporate that component into the syllabus to ask students to do that because it will overall improve the students' quality of life and their own direction at school, I would think. Yeah, I think like this, this I think that this like somehow like this reflective writing, like it, the, kind of, the topic can be like different, but you know, trying to like write about one's own life and who one is and where one comes from, what are one's values, where one did, where, where did one get one's current like values and so forth. I think these kind of writing assignments can be like quite important in helping people to get to know themselves because like, of course you get to know yourself by doing things, but also through this like reflecting on the topic and through writing about it, one can like learn quite much about oneself. I think like at least it has been like true for myself that one of the ways that I learn about like what I think about different issues is through writing about them. That like, especially when I was younger, quite often, if there like there was like you know, let's say some like some heated political topic topic like at at the moment happening, what I did like I tried to like write a blog post about it. I, quite often like when I started to write about about it, I didn't know what my opinion would be about the topic. So I started to write about it, and I think that through writing, and through like then figure through, through that, I, I I slowly learned more about myself and my own kind of like thinking and my own values. So I think in that sense, I think. Some kind of like reflective writing exercises can be like quite valuable to do for like to, in order to like figure out who one is. And another key thing that you talk about in the book about um, looking for the the meaning that's already in your life and, and really focusing on on how to protect and grow that is to invest in your relationships. And you cautioned us a few moments ago about not being a people pleaser, not living your life to make your parents happy. Um, but what, so what does it mean to invest in your relationships? Yeah, so, so that's like another thing that, you know, that whenever we do research on like meaning in life, and actually whenever we do like research on like happiness and well-being, one of the key things that, you know, tends to make us happy, tends to like enhance the meaningfulness of our lives are like other people, and especially these close relationships. So it's not, not so much about, you know, like how many people you know, but more about the quality of the relationships, you know, that so it's much more important to have like few, few people in your life with whom you have this like high quality relationships compared to like having like these surface relationships with like hundreds of people. That doesn't like matter much for your one sense of well-being or meaningfulness. It's more about this like the quality of the relationships. And so, so like when, for example, when people are, are asked, you know, to name one thing that makes their life meaningful. This has been like done in a couple of studies that you know people have been like said that hey, think about one thing that most mostly makes your life meaningful, and it and it all but all the time the results are that like more than half of the people at this moment start to talk about you know either their family, certain family member, or some friendships of their friendships of theirs. So like some close relationship is like the most important source of meaning for most of us. But I don't think that there's like a paradox here, like between like that that I emphasize that people should be like living autonomously and emphasizing that people should be like investing in their relationships, because it's more about kind of like that we can be that in in a good relationship I can be authentic. That if it's a good relationship, then I should be like able to be authentic in there, be my own self, believe in my own values, like express express the express my interest and so forth, and still like you know, have that relationships. So I guess like. One of the things that has ha- happened, like in 
when we have like turned to this modern lifestyle that we are like in a way we are more uprooted than our like forefathers were like that people like some a few centuries ago they tended to live much more locally that they were they were like on average like much more like born in the same same place where they where they spent their whole life for example and and, and still like many people around the world live this like this more rooted lifestyle for example, I was visiting this one village in Nicaragua, in the Central America, and it was like this small village on the on the on the east coast east coast of the country, and it was like the village was only accessible by boat, so there was like no no roads going there, so only way to get there was like through boat, and there were like there was like some few hundred people living there, and I, I spent like one week there, and there was this one local guy who became my friend like the first 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 night there, and. After that, he was like taking me around a bit in the village, like next days. And when we were walking there, like you no, know, every every third people that like that that we met, he, he he like stopped to talk with and said that hey, this was one of my cousins. And I don't know like how broad like the concept of cousin was was for him, but like it was like just like funny to see that you know that basically everybody he has like grown up with were living still with in the same place with him. He was like me- meeting with meeting up with them like every day. His parents, his brothers, his his like school friends everybody was living in the same place and i felt that you know that compared comparing that to my own lifestyle that you know that living living in a city where you where most of the people that you meet are like complete strangers you and you're like you know your family might live like far away from you and so forth so it's quite a different lifestyle and i was kind of like in a way like envying that person but on the other hand i felt that you know that what is good about this modern lifestyle is that you know we have like more chances tonight. You know, sell, select what is the group that we want to be close with. That it might be nice to be in that kind of village if you fit into that village, if you fit in with the values and like you know ways of living that that are like you know appropriate within that village. But if you don't fit in that there, if you for some reason you're like interested in different things than other people, if you have like you know some other other things that like don't fit, that you want to dress up in a different way than the people there. That might be like quite hard, and like then then living your whole life in a community where you feel that you don't fit in might be like quite like a quite like a not not so good experience to have. So the, the good thing about the modernity is that you can like you know that if you feel that hey this community where I'm right now doesn't fit very well with with who I am at the bottom of the line, then you can like there's like much more chances to find out other people who are like interested in the same things that you are, and then like in the future, hang out with those people and find the close relationship from that group. So in that sense, that I feel that the modern lifestyle actually makes it, makes it more possible to not having to choose between autonomy and relatedness, but one can have both through like, you know, being invested in communities which one feels are aligned with one's own interests and values. And so you... You say how important it is to invest in authentic relationships and to put time into becoming who you are, that it's really important to connect with yourself. You say otherwise you're just an empty shell. Um, And to know your personal value system. You say human values are like trusty tools. We use them every day to guide our decisions. Um, And one of the other things that you uh, talk about as being important to really investing in the meaning of your life and growing that meaning is to help yourself and help others so that you impact others in a positive way. And we've we've talked about that as a thread throughout this discussion, but do you want to highlight that a bit more? Yeah, so that's like also like one of the key 
heating that I feel that like gives meaning to our lives is when we are able to somehow have a positive impact in the life of other people. So like that's also like something that I myself have done quite much research on. For example, this one study that I did together with this professor Richard Ryan from this University of Rochester, we had these students from from the university. We, we invited them to the computer uh, computer lab, and there there they had to play this like very simple computer game. It was this like this game of like synonyms. So there was like one word on the top, and then there was four words to choose from, and one one should choose like a synonym for the word. So quite a simple game, and they were playing that for twenty minutes. And after that, they answered the survey about how they felt afterwards and how, how meaningful they found the activity to be. And there was actually like two conditions that half of the people just played the game as such. But then there was the other group of people for whom we told that, you no, know, for every correct answer, a small donation would be made to this United Nations food program to like help end hunger around the world. So the same game, same activity, but this small contribution towards other people and then afterwards, when they fill out the survey, it turned out that that group that had this small, con- small positive impact, they actually experienced more positive feelings afterwards. They, they were more energized, and also they found the game as much more meaningful. So, and there's, there's like ton- lots of research showing that, you know, that, that's, that's again, like one of the key sources of meaning is this when we're able to somehow do good things to other people. So it can be like small things, you know, helping your friend, help, helping your friend or help, helping your spouse by taking out the trashies. Or then it can be bigger things that you feel that through your work, you're able to do something big, some, some, have some meaningful impact towards other people. So like big or small, but that's one of the things through which we, quite many of us, find, find our lives meaningful. And I guess like it's also like about a bit that how, one question that, Quite many people ask from me like that, how much impact do you have to have in order to like experience the sense of meaningfulness? And I guess like my answer usually is that, you know, it depends on like how much you have, have, have and how much like resources you have that you can give to other people. That if you have, if you don't have much, then like doing a small thing can be enough. If you have like much resources, then probably you need to like have like a bigger impact. So like one example that has like really stayed with me was that, I was doing like one research, research study in, in a nursing home. So I was like, I was interviewing the nurses there. I was observing how they interact with, with the patients there, or the elders there and so forth. And in one, one unit, there was like this, this thing that, you know, that whenever like the linen came from like the laundry, then there was like two, two elder women, elderly women who were, who were the ones who were like, you know, folding it and putting, putting them into the cupboard. And I happened to be there when, when the linen arrived and they started to do this folding. And I was like observing like that they were like taking this task very seriously. That one could see that, you know, that they were like, you know, very like very invested in this, in this task that they were doing. And I was thinking that, you know, given that they were in this kind of place, like they were in a, like this nursing home, which means that, you know, probably they don't have like too many opportunities to help other people there. Because like it's much more that the nurses are helping them through the through many of the everyday tasks that they need to do, but here was still like this one chance for them to you know to give back something to be like useful for the nurses, help them in some way, and like, and through that feel that they're still having this positive impact. So like you know of course like if you have much resources you can do much, but like even in like situations where you don't have much, you can usually find like some small things that you can still do to help other people. And through that, like, enhance your sense of meaningfulness. As I was listening to you, I was thinking that 
it's really about the connection. If you have a great deal of resources and you just give something away, it may not mean much to you. You didn't need it. You wouldn't notice that it's gone. So you haven't made that actual connection with others by donating it. Um, Whereas your student who walked with a lost person to make sure that they had found their way is living on a tight student budget. Um, And so they weren't in a position to give a large sum of money to a charity, but they were in a position to make connection with that person right in front of them who was lost and give time and make sure the person got to where they were going. And in the studies that you mentioned, they talk about that that's a key component to compassion and that compassion actually has a tremendous uh, effect on our health and well-being in a way that the happiness studies didn't really seem to bring, they didn't seem to find it as much. So can you talk about the emotional and physical health benefit to that connection that, that is based in compassion? Yeah, yeah. There's like actually, like that in addition to studies that have been showing that, you know, that when we're able to help other people, when we're able to have this positive contribution, that, that, that it increases our sense of like meaningfulness, it increases our, like, like our sense of happiness, but it actually even can have like some effect on our like physical health. So there's, there's many studies showing, for example, that, you know, people who volunteer or otherwise like are invested in helping other people, those people actually tend to even live longer than people who are like less invested in helping other people. So like the amount that people are volunteering and can be like, you know, predictive about like how long, uh, 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 which people are going to be like dead, di- have like died 20 years later and which people are still going to still gonna be alive. So there's like clear benefits in there as well. And then it can even like have like an effect on like such like concrete health outcomes as like blood pressure. So there was this one study where they were like, you know, giving giving people who had like high blood pressure, they were giving them $40 for three weeks in a row. And for half of the people, they were say that, saying that here's $40, that use this money for your, like to make yourself happy. So do, do, buy something for yourself. And for the other half of people, they were say that, hey, here's $40, use this money for some other people. So like make somebody else happy with this $40. And they did this for three weeks. So every week they got this check of $40 and then they were able to spend it either on themselves or either on other people. And afterwards, when they were like measuring these people's blood pressure, it turned out that that group that had helped other people, actually their blood pressure had like dropped in this in this like three weeks, and it had dropped like as as much as if they would have like started some like new like sports activity or if they like they had somehow changed their like food diet. So like this helping other people, it can have can this have can this can have these tangible benefits not only for our sense of meaningfulness and sense of well being, but even for the physical health. And that's like I think like something quite like remarkable and something that is like great to see like new research coming out showing more and more these like these positive health benefits of helping other people. There's so much more in this book that I wish that we had time to talk about, but I trust that listeners are inspired to get a copy and and read it. So um, in the few minutes we have left, I want to ask you, what do you hope this conversation today will spark for listeners? Um. I guess my hope is like you know, to awaken people to somehow become more aware of their own life choices. So like become more aware of like what are the values, like implicit values that they're making their life choices on. Are they like something that they have like them, themselves selected or are they, some, are, are they making their life choices based on, you know, 
somebody else's value, something that they have just picked up from the culture or from their parents, from their from the people around them, without really thinking, are these the things that they want to like, you know, these 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 the values and life goals that they want to be pursuing in their life. So I guess like that's my that's what I'm trying to like in the bottom line trying to do is trying try to help people to live lives that are more in line with who they are on the bottom of line and for that i guess like we need some philosophy to become become more aware about our these life goals to become more aware about the values that we are are like through which we are living living right now in order to be able to better make like conscious choices about what would be the values that are most suitable for me and what will be the value through which i want to live the rest of my life so i guess like some contemplation on these topics and through that more meaningful living will be that I hope people for, would get from this conversation and from this book. Thank you so much for sharing all of that. I really enjoyed having this time to talk with you. Um, I'm Dr. Christina Gessler. We've been talking with Dr. Frank Martella about his new book, A Wonderful Life, Insights on Finding a Meaningful Existence. You've been listening to The Academic Life on New Books Network. Please join us again.